Can we just praise him according to his excellent greatness for a few seconds tonight? Come on, according to his excellent greatness. God, you are awesome. God, you are mighty. You are my provider. You are my deliverer. You are my ever-present help in the time of trouble. You are, oh God, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. <laughs> Come on, somebody just speak the name of Jesus right now. Come on, make a demon tremble. Just speak the name of Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I rebuke every evil spirit right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that there is authority in the name of Jesus? It's more than just a name. It's more than just something that we speak to make ourselves feel better. But there is power. There is dominion. And there is authority in the name of Jesus. And you ought to speak the name of Jesus with fear and with trembling. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It ought to be precious to you. It ought to be precious to you. Hallelujah. I, I, don't, I don't speak the name of Jesus casually. That's why it grieves my spirit when people take the name of the Lord in vain. Because the name of Jesus is the name that is above every other name. And it's not a coincidence that Satan has taken the name of Jesus and distorted it into a modern day curse word. I rebuke it right now. We cherish the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You know, I'm not an easily offended person, but it offends me when people take the name of the Lord Jesus in vain. It hurts something deep inside of me because I love that name. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because <laughs> he first loved me. Are you glad he loves you tonight? Are you convinced that he loves you tonight? Oh, my friend, he loves you. Hallelujah. I'd like us to do something before we go into our, our Bible study. Uh, it's the very first Wednesday of 2016, and I'd like us to pray specifically right now for our kids' chapel that takes place Every Wednesday night, right above us here, we have people up there working right now and, and many children up there. You don't even see them. They go right up there. And it's one of those ministries that we show up on Wednesdays and we come into the sanctuary. And sometimes we forget that it's even happening. There's all kinds of things happening up there and we don't even realize that it's going on. Uh, but it is an important ministry of Apostolic Tabernacle. And I'd like us to pray, and I'd also like to welcome Brother Collins. He's over here on the drums. He's about to join the Kids Chapel ministry, and he's going to be a valuable asset to them. I'd like us to lift up our hands and just pray that the Holy Ghost would be on the Kids Chapel all throughout this year. Could we do that? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray you touch 
Brother Brian, who leads at God, and Sister Jessica, and all of the kids' chapel team, and, and all of the children that are blessed by that ministry, and all of the parents who make time to be here on Wednesday nights, that their kids could learn the Word of God. I pray that you would anoint them and bless them and touch them. And more importantly, I pray that your spirit would be with them. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Just keep praying. Let's pray for all of our Sunday school teachers and Sister Martha in this new year. Could we do that? Lord, touch our Sunday school teachers, our classes, God. Sister Martha, Lord, I pray that you would give them a special touch of the Holy Ghost this year. Minister to them. Bless their efforts, Lord. Lord, many times it feels like a thankless job, but I pray that you would strengthen them and bless them right now, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Stretch your hands out towards this praise team and all of the ministry that labors in song all every week. God, I pray you would anoint them and bless them, Brother Nathan and Sister Rachel and all of our musicians and praise singers, our choir, God, that there'd be a special unction. Give us the spirit of David, I pray, oh God, in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Wow, what a tremendous feeling I feel here tonight on a Wednesday night. Amen. Remember your pastor as they travel back uh, from Arkansas, they'll be leaving tomorrow. And uh, pray for pastor's mother as well as uh, our first lady's mother. Their health is failing quickly. And uh, it's good that they can take an opportunity once in a while and go be with them. You never know when it'll be your last time. And uh, that's, that's a sad reality. And especially when you live far away. And uh, family is important. Amen? Family is important. It's the first institution that God gave us and put in place in the world, and family is very, very important, and so let's pray for them. Well, uh, you may be seated. Thank you for standing and for worshiping, and uh, I sense just a tremendous spirit of praise. You know, Wednesday nights are a Bible study format, but that doesn't mean that we should not bring our very best praise on a Wednesday night. In fact, we ought to be excited about Bible study. Uh, if, if studying the Bible is boring to you, then you need to pray. Hello. Studying the Bible for a child of God should not be a boring exercise. It is a privilege. It's an honor. And uh, I am thankful to be able to delve deeper. And the Wednesday night format is very important. You know, when we're preaching on Sunday mornings... Uh, the way the dynamics of this church and most churches, and it's one of the reasons I'm concerned about churches that don't have a Sunday night service, is typically the way a Sunday morning service goes is we have so many visitors and, and people who are not necessarily core members of the church. They might be members, but they're not core members. And so on Sunday mornings, we preach in a way that uh, is to draw sinners and to uh, try to encourage people to receive the Holy Ghost and be baptized. And that's a tremendous thing. Isn't that a tremendous thing? We need to do that. But for those of us who are already mature in our faith, we need to be here for that, and we need to be 
letting the Lord use us to pray others through to the Holy Ghost and to be a part of that. That's a necessary thing. And Sunday nights, as I preached last Sunday night, is an opportunity for us as the church to come together and hear preaching that inspires us to worship and praise and take a praise break. Amen. And Wednesday nights, though, are completely different because we can delve deeper into the Word of God. And that's exactly what we need. Uh, Everyone needs it, but especially for mature Christians. Now, I'd like to pick up a lesson that I began last Sunday morning. And I'm going to go ahead and do some review. I wrestled with it, but I know that many of you were not here Sunday morning. And so I'm going to review very quickly, and then I'm going to finish off this lesson on godly decision-making. Everyone said godly? That's the key. We all make decisions. Everybody makes decisions. The key is to make godly decisions. Uh, And in fact, you don't even have to make a decision to make a decision. You just are forced into it many times. Life, uh, the very nature of life is that every day we're, we're making decisions whether we want to or not. But it's important for Christians, whether you're young in your faith, old in your faith, mature in your faith or not, it's important to make godly decisions. And that doesn't happen by accident. Godly decision-making is something that you have to do intentionally. You have to do it on purpose. And, uh, and so last week we talked about uh, godly decision making. And the second slide, and I won't linger here, but I do want to quickly make this point that you don't make major life decisions on temporary emotions. Could we say that together? You don't make major life decisions on temporary emotions. When you're angry, when you're fearful, when you're hurt, when you're bitter. I've seen a lot of people lose their salvation and backslide because they made decisions when they were hurting and when they had been wronged by somebody. That's the worst time to make a major life decision is when you're hurting. And we looked at the uh, story from Numbers 13 of the men that went up into the promised land that God had already given them and said, uh, we can't go up against the people. They're stronger than we. They make it, made a decision out of fear. And that's the worst thing that you can do is make a decision out of fear. Now, We're looking at five major life decisions. Don't get afraid. I know five sounds like a lot. Uh, We we briefly touched on the first three, and I'll review those here now. Five major life decisions, and these major life decisions will affect every other area of your life, every other area of your life, and you need to make these decisions and settle them in your heart. In other words... You've got to have, as the old timers used to say, you've got to have a made up mind. It's important to have a made up mind. Uh, People who are constantly struggling with making godly decisions, uh, one of the things that you'll find that's a constant in their life is that they've never settled things in their heart. They've never they've never built their life on a firm foundation. And so they're constantly being tossed about with every wind of doctrine, with every problem with every trial. Have you ever known, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever known somebody that every time a a problem came into their life, their entire faith was shaken? Their entire walk with God was shaken? That tells me that they never settled things in their spirit properly. That's not the way 
a mature Christian should be acting. A mature Christian should have things settled in their heart, settled in their mind, to where every little thing that comes into their life doesn't shake their faith to the very core. Am I saying that we're all that any of us are immune from having our faith shaken from time to time? Absolutely not. That would be foolish. We've all had our faith shaken. Any human beings here tonight ever had your faith shaken? I'm going to tell you, you walk into, pastor uses this analogy, and I'll use it too. Uh, ministers, as, as pastors, uh, we spend a lot of time in hospitals. And, uh, and I can't tell you how many times I've walked through the, uh, the, the children's hospitals and gone through with little two-year-olds that had cancer literally from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. I'm going to tell you, that does something to your spirit. And when you walk in those moments, uh, I'm going to tell you, there are times when you're saying, Lord, why? And you would be inhuman for that not to affect you. You would be absolutely inhuman if that didn't cause you to cry out to God and say, Lord, why? Now, of course, when you let your, your, your theology kick in, you realize that sin brought death into the world, death is no respecter of persons. Sin is no respecter of persons. And sin is a terrible, terrible thing. I had somebody asking me this week, you know, everybody's starting their Bible reading plans for the year. I hope you are. And uh, so a lot of people are reading the book of Genesis right now. And I had somebody call me this week and say, Brother Ryan, why is it when they, uh, God told him, he said, if you eat of the fruit, you'll die. Why is it that they didn't drop dead when they ate the fruit? And I said, well, they did die. They just didn't. God never said that they would die immediately when they took the bite of the fruit. He just said they would die. Man was never intended to die. Death was never supposed to be a part of the human condition. But sin allowed death to enter into the human condition. And so they didn't know it. But when they took a bite of that forbidden fruit, they became walking dead people. Death entered into their life. Death became a part of humanity. And I'm going to tell you, we are still, all of these thousands of years later, we are suffering the consequences of sin. But I'm thankful that we serve a God tonight who broke the bonds of death he broke the bonds of hell. He broke the bonds of sin. Oh, I want you to know there's power in the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus can cleanse us from death, hell, and the grave. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of sin. We don't have to be afraid of the human condition because of the work of Calvary. And so we need to make good choices, good decisions. Now, here's, here's number one. And they're going to take me to the next slide. I think that this is the absolute most important decision that you can make in your life. Every other, every other aspect of your life is impacted by this decision. And it is this. It's how you view and apply the Bible to your life. Everyone said the Bible. Do you have your Bible close? Why don't you just grab your Bible and, and just... Maybe it's in your cell phone or whatever, but this, this is valuable. Anybody know that this is valuable? This is the living word of God. Woo! Hey, that, that, that ought to get you excited right there. This is the living word of God. 
This will inform every decision that you will ever make in your entire life. Every choice that you will ever have to make will be impacted by this book if you allow it to. But God has given you this thing called a free will. You have a free will. You can decide how you are going to apply his word to your life. He's not going to force his word on you. He's not going to open it up and bring it to you at night and make you read it. He's not going to imprint it on your hand. He's not going to force it into your life. But he's given you the free will to decide how important his word is going to be in your life. And can I just, can I just encourage somebody, make this book the preeminence in your life. Make this word valuable in your life. Hide it in your heart. Memorize it. Read it daily. Study it. Do more than just get the sound bites. Do more than just get the little Twitter bite. You know, we've got a whole generation of young people. The only time they ever read the Bible is when they see a little clip on Facebook or Twitter. You better do more than get your little 32-character soundbite. You better get his word, his entire word hidden in your heart. Get it deep down inside of you. So why? The psalmist says that I might not sin against thee, O God. How can you know what is right and what is wrong? How can you know what is sinful and what is not sinful unless you have put it in your heart in the first place? And so we all have to decide. And now many people will tell you that they love the Bible, but they don't believe the Bible. They don't believe every word of it. We have in a, one of the most tragic things that we have happening in the Western Christian culture is we have people who are reading translations of the Bible who have cut over 500 verses. Did you know that the NIV has cut out over 500 verses from their translation? I'm going to tell you, that's a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. You know what that means? That means that some scholars got in a room somewhere, in a smoke-filled room somewhere, and they all thought they were smarter than God, and they started cutting out verses that they didn't think were supposed to be in there. I'm going to tell you what. We shouldn't be cutting anything out of the Holy Word of God. We need every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I know I'm being redundant, but some of us need to get this in our spirit early on in 2016. You better hide his word in your heart. And you better make sure that it matters. And you better make sure that you decide whether or not you believe that it is the absolute. When I say absolute, what do I mean? I mean there is nothing higher. There is not, My word should not be more important to me than the word of God. My opinion, my thoughts. I have lots of opinion. If I just let myself formulate opinions without consulting the word of God, I will make all kinds of errors in judgment in my lifetime because we are fallen human beings. The smartest among us, the most righteous among us, the most holy among us, the wisest among us. Just look at Solomon, the wisest man. The Bible says the wisest man. Look at the mistakes that he made when he abandoned the word of God. I don't care how wise you are. I don't care how smart you are, how intellectual you are, how holy you are. In the moment that you fail to consult the word of God is the moment that you will begin to make poor choices in your life. 
We need the word of God. Even when the word, there are times when, when I read things in the word, and some of you aren't going to like this, but there are times when the word says something that doesn't feel right to me. Anybody ever had that before? Where you read something and it doesn't feel right. You know why that is? Because you are a fallen human being. And your flesh does not always respond to the holy word of God. Because we are not inherently holy. We are inherently fallen. And so there are times when you'll read something in the holy word that your emotions feel like it's wrong. That's why we don't live by our emotions. We live according to the word of God. And I'm going to tell you, when you humble yourself to the word of God long enough, eventually your spirit will conform to the holy word of God. Eventually, you will grow in holiness to where things that you used to read that didn't feel right, the more that you read it, the more you begin to understand it and it grows inside of you. And before you know it, you become more and more like Christ and and he puts his spirit in you and he puts his thoughts in you and, and he puts his word inside of you. And then you wake up one day and you realize All of a sudden, things are making sense to me that didn't used to make sense to me. And my understanding has been opened and and wisdom has been infused in my spirit. And it didn't come from me and it didn't come from man, but it came from the spirit of God. And he does it through his word. That's why we say his word is alive. It's more than just stuffy words on a page. His word is living. And so as you read it, it becomes alive to you. Oh, I wish I'd get an amen on that. And so we need the Bible to be at the forefront of our lives. And uh, the Bible contains 100% of what we need to know about the will of God. Let's go to the next slide, and I'll read this quote to you one more time. The better you know the word of God, the less confusing is the will of God. Those who struggle the least with the will of God are those who know the word of God. Uh, when people are constantly struggling to find what the will of God in, is in their lives, I usually find it's because they have not been filling themselves with the word of God. As you study the word of God, his will becomes apparent to you. It becomes a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And so we desperately need the word of God to be at the forefront of our lives And it impacts all of our decisions. The next slide says the only barriers to making a wise biblical decision are ignorance of God's word or stubbornness to obey it. Now, there is a difference between being ignorant of God's word and being rebellious to God's word. Anybody know that? I've known a lot of people who were who sinned out of ignorance. And that's that's a tragedy. But it's a completely different tragedy than somebody who knows the word of God and is willingly rebellious to the word of God. And I want you to know that the Bible says rebelliousness is as the sin of witchcraft. That sounds serious, doesn't it? Don't you think that's serious? If God tells you that something is, is on equal ground with the sin of witchcraft and God hates the sin of witchcraft, I'm going to tell you, he really does. In fact, in the Old Testament, they put people to death over that kind of thing. And that's, that's old-fashioned preaching. Some of us don't like that. But playing around with witchcraft was not something that God has ever 
ever allowed. He has never been okay with it. And let me just pause and tell young people, that's why I don't mess around with Ouija boards and Harry Potter and books that are into all kinds of, all kinds of stuff that, that promotes uh, witchcraft and sorcery or, or elevates it to some kind of place where it seems harmlessness. Witchcraft and sorcery and, and demons and warlocks. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Because some of y'all been playing around with it and you better get it out of your life in 2016. We don't need to be playing around. I don't care how harmless it seems. It is not harmless. God has never been okay with his people playing around with vampires and all of that kind of thing. Some, most of that stuff is steeped in real, real demonic things. And you need to be careful with it. You need to not play games with it. And you get that stuff in your life, and it'll start to take root. It may start as a very tiny seed, but the tiniest, the tiniest of seeds can become a very large, large tree in your life if you keep on watering it and allowing it to grow. And so don't play around with those things. And so rebelliousness is a dangerous thing. If you know that something is right and you don't do it, it's going to be much harder for you when you stand before the Lord on Judgment Day than for those who did, did so out of ignorance. Did you know there's Bible for that? If you do it out of rebelliousness, it's going to be a whole other story for you than if you did it out of ignorance. And so be very, very careful. Once something has been revealed to you, once something's been illuminated to you, uh, you, you ought to walk in it. All right, number two, major life decision. And you need to base this off of your first decision. In other words, I did these in order. The first major life decision is how you view and apply the Bible to your life. That includes salvation, the plan of salvation. It includes holiness. It includes how you, how you approach the word, what you believe is sound doctrine. And there is such a thing as sound doctrine. And then there's false doctrine. There's no such thing as partially sound doctrine. It's either sound or it's not. And we, we live in a culture that has accepted way too much gray. We need to get out of the gray and we need to believe and we need to understand that Jesus is the he's the gray, right? No, no. Jesus is the light. And we are to walk in the light as he is in the the gray area. No, no, no. He's in the light. So we're to walk in the light. We're not to walk in shadows. And we have a lot of people who have accepted what I call shadowy doctrine. It's, it's gray doctrine. Stay away from that. We need light. And, uh, and so when you allow the Bible to inform those things in your life, it's important that you decide what church you attend, and you need to make that decision. And let me just talk to our 45,000 plus who listen to our podcast on a, on a monthly basis, and let me just tell you that you need to attend a church that teaches sound doctrine. They, they ought to teach repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And, and let me just help somebody else too. Once you've been saved, you need to walk in holiness as God is holy. And so you need to find a church that teaches those things, that stands on those things, that loves those things. And a pastor who preaches those things and loves those things. And then you need to decide your level of involvement. And I've dubbed this for our church the year of involvement. The year of renewed service in the kingdom of God. 
And let me just minister to the Wednesday night crowd. Don't be weary in well-doing. Pastor's been preaching over and over again. The trumpet's about to sound. And I know that some of us get tired. I'm, I'm only 32 years old, and there's days when I wake up completely exhausted. And there's days when I wake up and I think, Lord, there's so much to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it all. I don't have enough strength in my body, God. I don't have enough hours in the day. I don't have enough days in the week, Lord. And, and we all feel that way. I know I could get some of you to testify about, about how the weeks just seem to fly by and there's not enough time and we're pulled in so many directions. But let me just encourage you, get your hand to the gospel plow in 2016. If your level of commitment and and involvement has slipped, get back in there. Find something to do. Find a ministry to get involved in. Find something that you can do for the kingdom of God so that you can see people saved, so that you can be a part of what God is doing in the last days. And you need to decide what your level of involvement. Here's, here's what I found. People who are not involved eventually slip away from church. People who are not involved eventually slip away from church. The people who stay committed, are, frankly, are the people who are too busy. You know, there's an old saying that says, if you want something to get done, find somebody who's way too busy. There's something about people who are active and involved and busy Uh, They're the doers. They're the ones who stay involved. And there's something about uh, people. You can take something to someone who's not doing anything, and they can have seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and it's something about their mentality. You can ask them to do one small thing. It'll take them three months to get it done. But you find somebody who's figured out how to be busy about the thing, whether it's the things of God or just the things of life, whatever it is. People who learn how to get involved are people who stay faithful, whether it's the workplace, whether it's the house of God, whether it's your family, whatever it is. And so we need to decide how involved we're going to be with our participation, our attendance, our attendance, our attendance, our support, our giving. Look at the person beside you and say, our giving. You must determine what your attitude will be uh, regarding your loyalty level, uh, your And your attitude towards the pastor. We talked about this the other day, but it's important that you actually have a pastor in your life. And by that, I mean it's got to be more than just a preacher who gives you a nice word on Sunday. You got to have someone, a pastor in your life who you will allow to actually be a voice of correction, to actually be a voice of authority in your life, to actually be a voice that you respect and honor. And uh, if you refuse to listen to the counsel of your pastor, then you're going to be in trouble because I'm going to tell you, God has placed people in our lives on purpose. And we ought to listen to those voices. Jeremiah 3.15, And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Next slide, Hebrews 13 and 17. Speaking of pastors, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy And not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Next slide. Proverbs 10, 17. People who accept discipline are on the pathway to life. But those who ignore correction will go astray. Correction is a good thing. It's a necessary thing. It's an important thing. And we all need it in our lives. Can I get an amen? All right. Number three. And this is the third major life decision. 
And now we're finally coming out of review, and we're picking up where we left off on Sunday morning. This is the third major life decision, and I did these in order important. So number one was what? The Bible, how you view it and apply it to your life. Number two, it was what church you attend and how involved you are and how you view the pastoral authority in your life. And number three is who you will marry. Ooh, glory. But then beyond that, for those of us who already are married, it goes beyond just who you will marry, but how you will treat your spouse. This is very, 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 very important. So number one, you must decide to marry a godly person. The Bible says not to be unequally yoked. And so we need to make sure that we're using godly decision-making in our dating relationships, in our in our. In, in all of our relationships, but certainly in those that we would date, for those of us who are unmarried, and in how we treat our spouses once we're married. Uh, for those of us who are married, you have to decide. This is a decision that you have to make to remain faithful. That's a decision that you make. I had a guy tell me one time, well, uh, I, I, uh, I had no choice. I had an, an out-of-body experience, baloney. It's a decision that you made, and it was an ungodly decision. Well, I wish I'd get an amen on that one. It was an ungodly decision. And, uh, and I, I know that some people think they're above temptation. There is no person in this room who is above temptation. And you better make up your mind now. Before the temptation, well, I'll, I'll get all of that settled when it, no, 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 you better, because, you know, David was a godly man, but he hadn't settled it in his heart ahead of time. And so when the opportunity presented itself, he lost his self-control, and he made an ungodly decision. And we ha- we're living in a very promiscuous age. I'm going to tell you promiscuity is infiltrating every level of the church not just the world but I'm talking the church I rebuke it in the name of Jesus we need to make godly decisions when it comes to our romantic lives when it comes to those areas of our life that's why you need to guard your mind sir that's why you need to be careful what you read ma'am for men it's typically what we see for women it's what you read and you need to be careful. I, I had a lady come to me and say, well, I would never watch it, but I'll read about it. It's just as ungodly if you get it in a book as if you, if you watch it on a movie somewhere. It's, if it's ungodly, it's ungodly. I don't care what format it comes in. Reject it. Run away from it. Stay away from it. Keep it out of your house. And I'm going to tell you, if you have it in your house and you think you can handle it and you have kids or teenagers, I don't care how well you think you've got it hid, they're going to come across it. I've known more, I had an apostolic young person and I'm glad the kids are upstairs so we're just going to get real for a minute. I had an 11 year old girl who was sexually active in the youth group in our church growing up and the reason that she got started with it in the first place is because of the romance novels that her mother was reading who was the head of the prayer group on Tuesday nights. She got into her stash She got addicted, and at 11 years old, she was promiscuous, and by 13, she had a child. Ooh, it got real quiet, didn't it? We've got to make godly 
decisions. Godly decisions. So you decide to remain faithful. You must choose to love over and over again. Now, I know for some people, they don't think that love is a choice, but love is a choice. You choose to love someone even when they're unlovable. And let me just tell you, I don't care how lovable you think you are. There are a lot of times that you are unlovable. Yes, unlovable, especially to our spouses. We are unlovable at times. <laughs> My wife and I just celebrated not too long ago, 11 years. And I wish that I could tell you that I, <laughs> I wish I could tell you I had been lovable all of that time. But there were lots of times where I was unlovable. And she had to make a decision to love me. And baby, thank you for making the decision to love me when, uh, when I'm unlovable. And uh, I have certain things that will stress me out. And, uh, and when, I get, when I get stressed out, if I'm not careful, I get unlovable. And, and you have to make a decision to love over and over again. And that's important. You must decide to honor and cherish in every situation, in every situation, in every situation, in every situation. Look at your neighbor and say, in every situation, in every situation, you have to honor and cherish, even when it's not easy, even when it's hard. You must decide to make an effort and have a Christ-centered, Christ-centered, Christ-centered relationship. And you must choose your order of priorities. Now, let me give you what I I have prayerfully thought about this many times. Bishop, you've probably heard a lot of great preaching over the years on order of priorities. And uh, I love to hear preach. I've heard a lot of good preaching on order of your priorities in life. And, uh, and I've, uh, I've prayed about it many, many times. And uh, I've talked to pastor about it. This, this list may be a little different than what you're used to. I may have done it up just a little different than maybe you're used to hearing. And, uh, and so I'm going to try to be very clear. When it comes to life, if you've already made a decision to put the Bible first, put church first, and you've made proper decisions in those things, and you've made proper decisions about who you will marry and how you will act in that relationship, then you have to order your life's priorities. And so I believe, biblically, that God is always our first priority. In other words, when I say that, God ought to be a higher priority than even your spouse. And so if you put God first, your marriage will flourish. If you put God first, your relationships will flourish. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't emphasize all of these other areas, you absolutely do. Don't, I, I've had some people who became so spiritual that they were of no earthly good. That's a dangerous thing. Putting God first does not mean that you have a right to neglect your family. Okay? Putting God first means that you put him first. And when you put God first, he tells you to take care of your family. In fact, if you study the word of God... 
He gives you the blueprint over and over and over again. You ought to provide for your family. You ought to cherish your family. You ought to love your family. You ought to protect your family. You ought to be there for your family. Love your children. Raise your children. Be involved in their lives. Provide for them. Children, honor your parents. All of, I mean, scripture after scripture, the Lord tells us how. And so your family will flourish if you put God first. But if you put your family first and neglect God, then all of it will suffer. And so we put God first. And then secondly, and this is where it might be a little controversial, is I believe that the way the Bible prioritizes it is that you put God first and then you put your family. Now, does that mean that the church is not, is not in the preeminence in your life? Absolutely not. The church is the preeminence in your life. In fact, part of putting your family first, and that's why I could almost take, see how this is here? I could almost take family and church, and if I could... I would almost put them on the same, the same plane. In fact, I might would put them almost equal together. Because when you put your family first, I want my children to be saved more than anything in this world. And so for me, part of putting my family first is making sure they're in the house of God every time the doors are open and I can physically be here. Now, if they have pneumonia and they're, and they're dying... Uh, does that mean that I drag them and make them get it? No, 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 no. I put my family, their health first. But if, if they're not dying and if they've just got a headache and they just don't feel good, they're coming to church because I want them to be saved. I want them to honor God. That's a part of putting God first because I want my family to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so I put my family first. And what does that mean for me as a preacher? That means that my family, as much as I love all of you and I cherish my obligation as a minister, my family is the priority. I need my family to be saved. And so my family is the priority and then the church. And so you ought to put your family first, keep your family a priority. And as a part of that, that means you're going to be faithful to the house of God. That means as a, as a husband, you're going to lead in giving. You're going to lead in praise. You're going to lead in faithfulness. You know why? Because you have children that are watching you. You have a wife that's watching you. And you need to show them what it means to be a follower of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. And, so, and then behind all of that ought to be your work. Someone said work. Behind all of that ought to be work. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I've, uh, I've made decisions in my life where uh, I could have I made a lot, a lot of money. I've made decisions where I could have done things differently. And, uh, and I could have uh, been uh, better off financially. But I made a decision not to do it because it would have interfered with my obligations to God, my obligations to my family, and my obligations to my church. And so when you put God's first, sometimes that means that uh, you're not chasing the dollar. I'm not saying don't make a living. We all need to make a living and be productive. That's about to be our next point. But uh, none of that should be at the sacrifice of your marriage, your children, your relationship with God, your faithfulness to the house of God. And uh, so those are the list of priorities. Make those decisions very, very, very carefully. Now, number four. Major life decision is how you will make a living and be productive to society and the kingdom of God. And God does call us, by the way, to be productive members of society and so that we can also be givers to the kingdom of God. I believe that God wants to bless all of us in our, 
in our careers, in our work. And so you've got to decide on a career path. You've got to commit to a ministry path. And, uh, and I believe that everybody ought to be involved in some kind of ministry. I don't mean preaching. I don't even necessarily mean singing. But everybody under the sound of my voice ought to be involved in some kind of ministry within the church. Every, listen, I've gone through this list several times now, and I'm going to keep doing it. We desperately need greeters. We desperately need ushers. We need Sunday school teachers. We need altar workers. We need prayer warriors. We need kids' chapel workers. We need bus ministry leaders. We need people going out to the prison ministry. Brother Arias, I was so excited to hear you were at prison ministry the other night. Praise God. Let's give him a, let's give him a hand clap of appreciation for getting involved in Sister Arias. They're going to be a blessing to our prison ministry. I'm believing God to fill all kinds of people with the Holy Ghost right in the prison cell and that he'll bring them to the house of God and bless their life and turn their life around. We shouldn't abandon people who are who are in prison. We ought to pray for them and believe in them. We need nursing home ministry workers. We need people to just be involved in in sound ministry and media ministry. We have all kinds of things. Our our internet ministry has become incredibly time-consuming. I probably put 35 hours a week at least just on our internet ministry. We need to launch a video ministry, all of these things. We need people who will say, Pastor, I want to find something that I can do, something, anything. Can I do anything? Whatever it is, I want to do it. You've got to decide whether or not you'll be a maker, a taker, or a giver. And God has called all of us to be givers. You must decide to be responsible and be accountable for your own actions. This is completely contrary to our society today. We live in a society that says we're not accountable. We're all victims. I want you to know you don't have to be a victim. You can stand on the word of God and he'll bless your life. And you can, you can be someone who is a receiver and a giver. But remember, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Colossians 3.23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So whatever job you have, whatever career path you take, whatever you're doing, make sure you do it to the best of your ability. Whatever you're doing, do it your very best. You know why? Because it brings glory to God. Did you know it brings glory to God? When you're, a, when you're a tremendous employee, it brings glory to God. When they know that you're an apostolic Pentecostal and you're the hardest working person on the job, it brings glory to God. You're giving glory. It's a testimony. It's a testimony when you do that. When you say, I, I, I'm not doing that. And listen, you say, well, my boss, is, he's a bad guy and he doesn't really deserve a, someone working underneath him. You know, he's lazier than I am. No, no, no. You're not doing it for him. You're doing it for the glory of God. Whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with all of your might as unto the Lord. Number five, you have to decide whether or not you will be values driven or volition driven. Everyone said values or volition. That word volition means uh, our own decision, our own actions. Am I going to be driven by my decisions or am I going to in the moment or am I going to be driven by my values that are already embedded in me? Proverbs 14 and 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And so we need to be driven in our lives by our values, by our biblical values. Next slide. I like this quote by Roy Disney. He was one of the CEOs of the Walt Disney Corporation. 
And he said this. He said, it's not hard to make decisions once you know what your values are. Once you've decided that you're going to live a life of holiness, and that's a value, it's not hard to make decisions when you know what your values are. Once you believe the word of God, and once you stand on Acts 2.38, and once you believe that the Bible is the authority in your life, it's not hard to make decisions because you know what your values are. Once you believe that you ought to love your neighbor as yourself, that's a value in your life. And so it isn't hard to make decisions because you've, you've made that a value in your life, and all of your other decisions flow from that. Psalms 26, 11, but as for me, I will walk in mine integrity, redeem me and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place in the congregations. Will I bless the Lord? Let me close with this on the last slide. And I want to give you uh, very quickly, I'm going to go through this. We've looked at the five major life decisions, how you view the Bible, what church you'll attend, how you view it, your pastor. Uh, we've looked at uh, who you'll marry and how you'll date, whether or not you'll be values-driven or volition-driven. And, uh, and now I'd like us to look for just normal life decisions, everyday life decisions. I'd like us to look at this quick test for decision-making. Number one, when you're faced with a life decision or even a simple daily decision, ask yourself this. Has God already spoken about it in His Word? If he has, then the decision is settled. Whatever God's word said, that's what we're going to do. Amen? Whatever God's word says, that's what we're going to do. Number two, would it bother me if everybody knew this was my choice? You ought to ask yourself that. You know, oftentimes people make secretive decisions and they tell themselves that it was okay. But in the end... Their conscience knows that they kept the decision a secret because somewhere inside of them, they know internally that it was a wrong decision to make. And so if you're asking yourself when you're faced with a decision, would I be bothered if everybody knew about this decision? Would I be bothered if this was just an open book and everybody knew? And if it would bother you, then you should stay away from it. Number three, what if everyone followed my example? Ask yourself, what if everybody followed this? What if everybody was making this same decision? And if you realize that if everyone else was doing it, it would lead to a bad place, then you can know that you shouldn't be doing it either. Sometimes we convince ourselves that we're capable of doing something that other people aren't capable of doing. That's called spiritual arrogance. We allow ourselves to think, well, I can handle it, but other people can't handle it. But if you ask yourself this simple question, if everyone else did it, would it be okay if they followed my example and you realize that it would be bad, then you ought to just go ahead and include yourself in that number and say, you know what, I better stay away from that as well. Number four, am I being people pressured or spirit led? Especially when you're making decisions about holiness and righteousness, make, make very, 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 very careful decisions. And make sure that you're being spirit-led and not pressured by people. People typically pressure us to be carnal. Did you know that? People typically pressure us to be carnal. And so make sure that you are allowing yourself to be led of the spirit 
and not of the flesh. Number five, could this cause another person to stumble? It may not be a sin to you. You know, there are things that I don't do in my life. I don't necessarily think they'll send me straight to the pits of hell if I do it. But I don't do it because I don't want somebody else to stumble by seeing my example. I don't want to harm somebody else with my testimony. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 14. You ought to go read the entire chapter of Romans 14. He talks about having personal convictions and how, listen, don't be a stumbling block to your brother. Just because uh, it might be lawful for you to do it, don't do it if you think it's going to cause your brother or your sister to stumble. And you ought to be okay with that because you love their soul. So there are times when we abstain from things because we don't want to be a stumbling block. Number six, have I prayed and received peace about this decision? And we probably should have made this the first one. If you are making decisions and you're not praying about them, bad idea. We should spend a lot of time in prayer, especially over major life decisions. Number seven, will, I keep, will this keep me from growing in Christ? Will this keep me from anything that keeps you from growing spiritually? You ought to get it out of your life. If it's hindering you, you need to get it out of your life. Number eight, does this glorify God? And we ought to do things that glorify God. How many believe that? We ought to do things that glorify God. Stand with me all across the building. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. If we'll acknowledge God in everything that we do, he'll guide our decisions and he'll make us godly. How many would like that for 2016? I want that for 2016. I want us to walk in the paths of righteousness. Let him lead. Lead us, Lord, and we will follow. Can we bow our heads? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that you would empower us to make godly decisions in this new year. I pray that we would walk in wisdom. I pray that we would walk in integrity. I pray that we would walk circumspectly. I pray that we would walk, Lord, with your priorities as our priorities. We love you. We give you praise. Renew us. Refresh us, God. Energize us, Lord. Strengthen us for the new year. We love you and give you praise. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God bless you. You're dismissed. Shake a few folks' hands on your way out tonight. Tell them you love them.